Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the lineup on Yahoo Sports. My name is Steven Sahoyas. That's Wesley Chang. And we're here to break down what went down in the NFL in week two. And maybe not what went down, but who went down. Because there were a ton of injuries this past week. Saquon Barkley suffered an injury. Christian McCaffrey, Cortland Sutton, just to name a few, all went down with pretty serious injuries. And Wes, those have changed the entire complexion of basically everyone's fantasy football league. Once again, from a real-life standpoint, all the empathy out to these guys. You know it's uh, just the worst thing in the world for them. Young guys, obviously this is their careers. But from a fantasy standpoint, there are so many implications that are going to fall out from this. We'll make sure to go through all of those this week and obviously touch on some of the key highlights from week two. When we forecast towards week three, we'll definitely touch upon those injuries and how you should approach them in your fantasy league. But let's start with the review of week two. And there were a couple of quarterbacks, Wes, who were in that QB1, QB2 fringe that really stepped up this week and really have emerged as potential streaming options for you in your league. Yeah, all these guys we're going to mention, they all put up 20 fantasy points or more, like Joe Burrow. We're talking Jared Goff, Minshew, Tannehill. We had a lot of names. There's six total quarterbacks that went up on there. But the guy I really want to point out here who were from the QB2 category who looks like he's sneaking into the QB1 conversation, my guy Ryan Tannehill. So last week, he threw for four touchdowns. First week, he threw for two. And ever since he took over the starting quarterback position for Tennessee, he's accounted for two or more uh, touchdowns in every single game he's played. So... What's happening here right now? Well, if you look back at the season, he was actually QB3 from the point he took over onwards. And so far, two games into the season, he's QB10. In 2020, he, right now, he's fourth in passer rating. I know AJ Brown is obviously out, and that's going to have some impact on his floor. But in week two, they developed a really good game plan. They got the ball up the middle. They handed the ball off to Henry when they needed to. And Tannehill was very consistent and accurate with his throws. I think you can look to Tannehill as somebody who should be a very safe option as a QB2 with the potential upside to sneak into the QB1 conversation week in, week out. He, for me, is somebody who I'd say is a low-end, high-floor QB1 moving forward. I like Minshew from that bunch of quarterbacks who have really impressed so far this season. He's had two really solid games, and he looks like he's got what it takes to be a starter in the National Football League. And the reason why I think Minshew is the best option for those streaming right now is because looking ahead, look at his next two matchups. This week, he takes on the Miami Dolphins on Thursday Night Football, which, as we've seen, is a pretty good matchup. Josh Allen just went off against that team on Sunday. I like Minshew to have a strong performance against that team. And then also, after that, we saw he has the Bengals on the schedule. Those are two matchups that shouldn't scare anybody. So that's why I think Minshew Mania is running wild all over your fantasy football league, and he's someone that you should be looking at as a streaming option at the quarterback position. Next, we're going to focus on a couple of backfields that were and still are a little uncertain. We'll start, Wes, with the Miami Dolphins backfield. Nobody would have really expected Miles Gaskin to be the one leading this backfield tandem in touches, but that's exactly what he's done so far through two weeks. Yeah, coming into the season, if you're looking at the draft ADP numbers, it was Jordan Howard, it was Breda. It was one of those two that was ultimately being drafted. But... 
Gaskin, seventh round pick by the Dolphins, suddenly is getting the lead on the snap shares for them. He's played 60% of the snaps out of the backfield, whereas the other players have played just 20 and then 10% of snaps. Now, when it comes to the actual carries and opportunities, they're a little bit closer than you think. They're all floating around seven carries per game. But Gaskin's the one who's getting all of the receiving looks out of the backfield. And I think long-term, what you're going to slowly see trend is that Gaskin is going to be the one who's going to get a lot of the touches in between the 20s. Um, Howard, he's getting all the goal line. Uh, the goal line looks for now. He's the bigger back. Gaskin's slightly smaller, and that's probably what actually had his stock come down coming out of college. But just so you guys know, this is a guy who put up just under 6,000 yards from scrimmage in college, and he had 62 total touchdowns. So it's not that he's not capable, but I think there were a little bit of doubts in terms of his size and fit in the NFL. But he's proving all the doubters wrong right now, and he could eventually slide in as a low-end RB2 for the rest of the season. In PPR leagues, I really do like Gaskin because, as you mentioned, he's getting a lot of the work in between the 20s, and he's also getting a lot of the passing down work too. So, like I said, a bonus in PPR. The backfield I want to talk about, and I'm ready to take my victory lap on it, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Nobody was banging the drum louder than I was for Leonard Fournette this offseason, and so many Ronald Jones truthers were saying, oh, he's never going to be the starter. Ronald Jones is the guy. Bruce Arians is saying this. Bruce Arians is saying that. Well, go back and watch the game footage against the Carolina Panthers, and you tell me who's the better running back. Ronald Jones, although he won't get credited with the fumble, what's the main reason why the Buccaneers fumbled the ball around midfield? Brady was giving him the handoff, and he just didn't have his arms high enough to receive it, put it right in the breadbasket, and fumbled the football. And Leonard Fournette, as soon as he got in the game, completely took over as the lead back in Tampa Bay. And I expect to see more of that going forward. What can you say about Ronald Jones that would outdo him to Leonard Fournette? There's really nothing. He spent the last two years fighting for touches with Peyton Barber, while Leonard Fournette was a featured back on the Jaguars. So, look. The Ronald Jones experience was nice. You know, he had week one and got the start really in week two to prove that he could be the guy. He just couldn't outdo Leonard Fournette, though. So feel safe to drop Ronald Jones in any league size, 10 teams or less. Next up, we've got a couple of wide receiver rooms that are proving to be pretty crowded early on. And Wes, we'll start with the Carolina wide receiver room. That one's caught your attention, and it's because the addition of Robbie Anderson has really started to make this one of the deeper units, actually, in the NFL. Yeah, we've talked a lot of you know three wide set teams where they're having the third wide receiver jump into the every week fantasy conversation. Robbie Anderson, as you mentioned, is the guy here. So the funniest thing about this situation, Robbie Anderson has been in the NFL now for five years, but Teddy Tugla Bridgewater may actually be the very best quarterback he's ever had in his entire career up to this point. And if you look at the numbers, it supports the fact that he's going to be able to deliver. He's had 18 targets so far. He's, he's completed 15 of those. He has the highest passer rating out of all of the receivers on the entire team so far. But the best part is, Anderson's had 98 yards after the catch, which is third best in the NFL currently. With Christian McCaffrey out, I'm willing to bet the pass-to-run ratio is going to go up even further. 
And this is going to make a very good or lucrative situation for Anderson to potentially become a high upside wideout three moving forward. If you see the way the Panthers are using him, you think of Robbie Anderson as someone who's a deep threat, but he's being used to move the chains. He's being used underneath. He's been really impressive through the first two weeks. The wide receiver room I want to focus on is the Dallas Cowboys, and a lot was made when they selected CeeDee Lamb, and people were wondering, how is this going to shake out? They already had Michael Gallup, who had over 1,000 yards last year, and Amari Cooper. Well, Cooper's role seems to be pretty much the same, but it's Michael Gallup, who's been almost an afterthought. He's fifth on the team in targets, and there has been a bit of bad luck, as you recall, week one against the Rams. He had that bad offensive pass interference call go against him. But clearly this week as well against the Falcons, he was not featured in this offense at all. And CeeDee Lamb continues to look good. Now, I don't think you should trade Michael Gallup because sometimes the best move you make is not to make one at all because there is a lot of upside with Gallup. He's a very intriguing young player in the NFL. But you can't start him right now. You cannot put him in your lineup because he's clearly an afterthought in this Dallas Cowboys offense, which is something I wasn't really expecting of him when the year started. DeZone. More live football than anyone else. Stream exclusive Premier League and UEFA Champions League. Stream every NFL game, including the Super Bowl. Plus, exclusive Red Zone. Showing you every touchdown, every Sunday. DeZone. Start your free trial at DAZN.com and stream on multiple devices. More live football than anyone else. D-A-Z-N. DAZN. This is the lineup on Yahoo Sports. And now we're about to dive into the waiver wire and let you know who you should be trying to add in your fantasy football league. And Wes, a pair of injuries, one to starting running back Raheem Mostert and backup running back Tevin Coleman, have really opened up the door for Jarek McKinnon in San Francisco. Jarek the Jet McKinnon, roster in just 23% of leagues right now, is the first name that we're going to put on the board. He's only played 32 snaps up to this point, and he's had nine touches in those uh, opportunities. But we talk about talent within those opportunities. He's been incredibly efficient with his looks. Most notably, that play where the Jets, you know, third and 31, they let him run all the way down, get the first down and more. Yeah, that was McKinnon. So he's the last man standing in this offense right now. But in the opportunities he's had, he's looked really good. PFF has ranked him as the number four running back thus far through the first two weeks. So if this opportunity does continue to be there for him, he should be somebody for the next few weeks to be a very valuable running back you can plug and play. You have to take it with a little grain of salt because it was against the Jets and they've looked awful through the first two weeks of the year. But like you said, the opportunities there, they don't have really the players in the passing game to get it done either with Kittle out and Debo Samuel and this is a run first offense so I really do like Jarek McKinnon as a solid add in fantasy leagues moving forward someone you talked about earlier Miles Gaskin he has clearly emerged as their top running back it's not a lead back situation it's still a committee with Howard and Brita but there's no questioning that Gaskin is the guy. This is more of a long-term ad. You don't necessarily add him just because you think in the next two weeks he's going to suddenly shoot up. But he's at 5.4 yards per carry. He's getting all the receiving down looks out of this backfield. And I think by and far, he's the one with the highest probability to end up taking on 
a three down back role in this offense. So with Gaskin, we're saying he's a must add in 12 team leagues. You don't have to necessarily throw him into your lineups now, but I guarantee down the road, he's going to start to eat more and more looks for uh, this offense. Moving on now to the Carolina Panthers. We talked off the top about the injury to Christian McCaffrey out four to six weeks with an ankle sprain. And it was Mike Davis who subbed in for him against the Buccaneers. And he didn't look bad. I wouldn't say he was great, but he didn't look bad. And he was able to catch all eight of his targets, which as we talked about with Gaskin earlier in PPR leagues, he gets a bit of a bump because he can handle that passing work. Davis is owning just 6% of Yahoo leagues currently. He's expected to fill that every down back role uh, for CMC while he recovers. During his time in Seattle in 2018, he actually had a few games that were better than expected. He just needed the opportunities. In three games where he played, he had 15 touches or more. He actually averaged just over 18 fantasy points per game uh, in those opportunities. And as you mentioned, he had eight targets, collected all of them for 74 yards. And during the offseason or during training camp, they bigged him up as a dual threat. And he's clearly showed that. So I think in the meantime, for the next four weeks while McCaffrey recovers, this is a great play where he could slide in as a flex play for you. And Mike Davis is someone who you don't want the Christian McCaffrey manager in your fantasy league to swoop him up. So if you have top waiver priority on your system, Make sure that you are the one who gets him, preventing him from going to the McCaffrey manager. And obviously, if you are the McCaffrey manager, you want to scoop him up right away because you will need him to supplement that lost production. Shifting gears now to the wide receiver position, Marquez Valdez-Scantlake has put together a couple of big weeks. And this was someone who Aaron Rodgers really hyped up in the preseason saying that he's someone that he's been able to gain a little bit more trust with. Valdez Scantling said he battled injuries last year and through two weeks, he's looked pretty good and has established himself, I think, as the second target in this option for offense for Aaron Rodgers. Marquez, owning just 36% of Yahoo leagues currently, he's got the eye of Aaron Rodgers. With all of the success that Rodgers has been showing through the first two weeks, I think this is an offense that you might want to get a little bit more shares of. So Valdez Scantling, what has he put up so far in terms of like notable stats? He's 10th in total air yards in the NFL, and he is second with eight red zone targets. These are all high opportunity, um, important statistical categories that you want to see from a wide receiver. And with A-Rod playing the way that he is right now, you want to make sure that you catch him, especially if Adams is actually more hurt than we realize. So with him currently at the wideout 20 ranking right now, we think there's some flex depth here having him on your roster. I think the important discrepancy too between him and Alan Lazard is there's a clear role for Valdez Scantling in this offense. He is the deep threat. He is the guy who takes the top off the defense. So Valdez Scantling has emerged and has established himself as a player in this Packers offense. And someone else who's done the exact same thing in their offense is Nikhil Harry with the New England Patriots. This is a team that really lacks passing options. And Cam Newton has shown an affinity to Nikhil Harry, who received a lot of attention in that matchup against the Seattle Seahawks in week two. Let's not forget, Harry was a first-round pick by the Patriots in 2019. So there is some post-hype sleeper uh, narrative that you can take with him here. The biggest stats to take away, once again, looking at this player, 
has 17 targets, which is tied for the lead uh, on the team. He is actually playing ahead of Edelman on two wideout sets for the Patriots right now. That's something very important to note in terms of snap count. And with his utility in the red zone, having four total targets up to this point, he's somebody that Cam Newton's clearly looking for. You don't necessarily roster him now to be a play on your team in week three, but for the rest of the season, this is probably one of the best stashes that you can have both in redraft leagues and dynasty. If Harry continues to get that volume, he could definitely get some flex or even wide receiver two situation when the bye weeks come. You're tuned into the lineup on Yahoo Sports. And next, we're going to go to a segment that we love to call Beat the Machine, but we might have to call it Beat by the Machine soon because, Wes, first two weeks, the results have not been pretty for either of us, failing to get a winning week, both of us, so far. I went two for three last week. Wes, a one for four performance. Not either of our best work, but we'll start by talking about Austin Eckler, who you had as one of your beat the machine projections. Yeah, I'm here to hop on the shame train and I'm taking some big L's here and I'll continue to do it until it turns around. With Eckler, he was at 14.78. I took the under on him. The main reason why I did, with Tyrod Taylor as their new quarterback, there was only one pass to the backfield in week one. Then what do you know? Uh, surprise scratch. Let's get Herbert out there and look what happens. Seven passes to the backfield, and then Eckler hits the over. Now, to his credit, all right, Eckler actually was night and day. He was significantly better in week two than week one, and we'll just chalk that up to maybe like no preseason games, new quarterbacks, some jitters. But the thing that still stood out to me was the touch split was pretty much one-to-one. Kelly's right there with him. Eckler only had 40 touches. Kelly had 37. So I like to believe my logic sound there. I think it was more so just, you know, bad luck with, you know, the, the touches or the receiving touches going to the backfield more than I expected. But I still think there's going to be some regression to that if Tyrod is the quarterback coming back into week three. It was a tough loss, as you mentioned, because of the late quarterback change. Mine wasn't a tough loss. I just was betting on a rebound that never happened. Carson Wentz looked terrible in week one against the Washington football team. But I thought a bounce back was in store for him because the team was getting Lane Johnson back on the offensive line. Miles Sanders was returning, and I figured that would help lighten the pressure off of Carson Wentz. But he had another downright awful performance this past Sunday, throwing two interceptions. He now owns the second worst passer rating in the entire NFL. So this was maybe me trying to get a little too cute with Carson Wentz, hoping for the bounce back. But it's clear the Eagles are missing a reliable target on the outside in that offense and I'm willing to give Wentz one more go because they battled the Bengals this week and we saw rookie Joe Burrow was able to toss for over 300 yards on an astounding 60 plus attempts but Wentz his leash is very short for fantasy managers so my next L I took I took the under on DK Metcalf and you know what I think this is this is karma for me not taking Russell Westbrook uh sorry Russell Wilson as the MVP favorite on the future is going into the NFL season. So I didn't let Russ cook, and now he's cooking me. So the biggest thing, the reason why I took this pick 
He was being shadow covered by, uh, by Gilmore. Last season, Gilmore only allowed a single touchdown on all of his coverage throughout all 16 games. And if you watch this game, you saw what happened to this pick. Metcalf had the one big play downfield where he beat Gilmore, and that in itself pretty much was the entire over. He put up 12 fantasy points with that one play. So I was betting on that play not happening, considering the coverage. I took an L there, I was wrong, and now I gotta walk into week three with some big 5-0 energy. That's the problem with taking the under with DK Metcalf. He's always that one big play away from hitting the over on his projections. The last player I'm going to talk about is Jonu Smith, and I was emphatically telling people to get him into your lineup last week, and he went off against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you watch this guy. He's just a yards-after-the-catch machine. His yards-after-the-catch over-expectation lead all tight ends in the NFL right now. He is a dangerous, dangerous player, and with A.J. Brown out of the lineup, he, I think, is their best option in the receiving game and even when AJ Brown returns we don't know how healthy Brown will be so it's not out of the cards at all for Jonu Smith to potentially be the leading receiver on this Tennessee Titans team. This is the lineup on Yahoo Sports and as we teased off the top of the show we we're going to give fantasy managers some advice on how to deal with the injuries that are really plaguing everybody's team right now. And we'll start with Saquon Barkley, who tore his ACL. Now, as the main guy that a lot of people are probably going to gravitate to on the waiver wire is Deion Lewis. But what do you make of his fantasy prospects? Is he someone that you could pick up off the wire and is now a plug-and-play in place of Saquon Barkley? You could do that, but it's a very, very low probability dart throw. He didn't impress in the opportunities that he had. And there's news of Freeman coming in for a workout with the team. I think just in general, if you're caught as a Barkley owner and then you got to figure out what to do here, look for an alternative on another team. Don't try to find the replacement on the Giants. I don't think any of the options that are going to come out of this backfield are going to provide enough upside for you to even recruit 50, 75% of what you would have got with Barkley. It's a much different situation than the Carolina Panthers backfield where you have Christian McCaffrey go down with an injury. He's out four to six weeks, but it seems like Mike Davis is going to be the one who reaps most of the touches in his absence. Same thing. He's not talented, just like Deion Lewis. They're not guys who are going to really um, impress on the field. The reason why you take Davis is because of the fact they've committed to him as the workhorse back. So he's probably going to have most of the first down looks. And he went eight for eight on the targets he received in that previous game. So he's clearly demonstrated an ability to be the third down back as well. So uh, specifically because of the volume, that's a guy you can go after. And hopefully he rides it out for the next four to six weeks. He was able to get it done after the catch, too, which is something I always like to focus in on. Can players create that offense on their own? And it seemed like Mike Davis did an all right job of that last week. Moving on now to the wide receiver position. Cortland Sutton now out for the year. This presents an interesting situation in Denver. They loaded up on wide receivers this offseason in the draft. They added Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler. 
Judy left that game nursing an injury as well. So is it KJ Hamler time in Denver? Or do you see them using the tight ends like Noah Fant a little bit more in that offense? So I think this is one of those situations where all of those targets are not just going to fall in one person's lap. It's going to be spread all around the receiving core. I mentioned him off the top earlier. I think Fant is the person who's going to benefit the most in this situation. He's demonstrated a lot of athleticism through the roof. And he has been very impressive with a lot of the targets that he's had. So uh, I think, especially with the injury to Drew Locke as well, this team's going to continue to rely a little bit more on some of the intermediary routes. And Fan is the one who I think gets the biggest bump. Now we're going to shift to some players whose stock are really down through the first two weeks of the season. Todd Gurley, he's not being involved almost at all in this passing game. And this is an Atlanta team that's throwing the ball a lot. But he's not doing the job for fantasy managers one bit. I thought his receiving woes in 2019 might have been aberration or an anomaly. But now we're two weeks into the season. I think the Falcons realize it's not an aberration either. Five targets in week one. Now he's at zero in week two. The worst stat, he's the third worst rated running back as per pro football focus. Not glowing uh, review for a uh, running back who was once the RB1 in leagues. But <laughs> the, the last stat that I think is really telling Gurley in 35 carries has not avoided a single tackle this season. So is there something wrong with him physically? Who knows? We haven't heard too much. But the fact that he's not as elusive as he used to be, I think now you gotta honest, you gotta be honest with this pick of yours and think whether or not you gotta stock down, maybe get rid of him. A player I've got on my stock down is Allen Robinson, but I don't think you should trade Robinson away. This is someone who you drafted to be a low-end wide receiver one, a high-end wide receiver two, and sure, the first two weeks haven't been great, but there's some encouraging signs. He's still getting a lot of targets, 18 targets from Mitch Trubisky through the first two weeks, and a matchup against the Atlanta Falcons secondary, which has really been exposed through the first two weeks of the season could be what he needs to get a big bounce back. So trading Robinson right now to me seems a little premature. I'm hanging on to him and hoping that there are better days ahead. Now moving to some guys who have their arrows pointing up. And Wes, welcome aboard to the Stefan Diggs fan club. This was someone who I said in the offseason was being discounted too much because of the move from Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen. And through two weeks, that's proven to be a pretty fair statement. Hey, I was always on the Diggs Bay fan club. The <laughs> problem was it was Josh Allen was my concern. So let me pivot to Mr. Allen and tell you what's been impressive. On nine deep throws, like 20 yards or more, Josh Allen is seven for nine this season. And Diggs, he's been three for three on the looks that have come his way. And Diggs is showing a lot of good numbers throughout the first two weeks. And I think there's going to be some regression, but... There's a very high probability this is going to continue. He leads, he's second in the league in total targets with 22, and he's tied for the league league with total yards at 239 with Calvin Ridley. Josh Allen's accuracy on deep throws. We know Madden loves his arm power. He's got like a 98 arm power rating on deep throws, but now he's got the accuracy to go with it. If this is for real, then Stephon Diggs suddenly is creeping on the wide receiver one borderline. Who would have thought that all Josh Allen needed was a top 10 wide receiver to get him going? 
go figure, right? <laughs> but Get moving forward, here. the guy who I, <laughs> the guy who I've got with the arrow pointing up and just on an upwards trajectory is James Robinson from the Jacksonville Jaguars. We always say now in fantasy football, there's so much information out there. There's no such thing as a true sleeper. Well, guess what? James Robinson is the exception to the rule because he has been a true sleeper in fantasy football leagues. Nobody really expected him to jump onto the scene and be as productive as he's been. But you know what? He's a power back. He can run really well. He's very decisive. He's not the quickest guy, but he makes up for that lack of speed with his decisiveness. And after all, it doesn't look like the Jaguars are going to be that bad of a team. And he also benefits from a nice upcoming schedule. He gets the Dolphins this week and the Cincinnati Bengals, who just saw the Cleveland Browns use both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb to gash them. So this is a running back in fantasy football who is the exception to that there's no such thing as sleepers rule because James Robinson has been exactly that for fantasy managers and someone who I think is right on the verge of the RB2 discussion. That's going to do it for this episode of The Lineup. And to keep up to date with everything related to the show, follow us on Instagram at Yahoo Sports CA and hit the subscribe button on YouTube as well. That's Wesley Chang. I'm Steven Sahoyas. And don't forget to set your lineup for week three. <laughs>